today's message will be different than your typical church message. I spent some time in preparation for the sermon asking God what the message should be. What came up was a journey I've been on over the past five years. This is a journey that started with me feeling hurt by my community and losing trust in them. As the journey continued, I saw that I had given so much of myself that I was worn out and resentful of others. I became aware of harmful thought patterns within me that condemned me, and I saw that I would need to find a new way of living going forward. The journey I went on took several years. God was always with me, but it did feel very lonely at times. Honestly, though, I appreciate the journey, even with all the pain it involved. God really met me in my time of need, and he guided me each step of the way. That's the journey I'll be sharing with you today. My hope is that God will speak words of comfort to those of you who have been hurting. I'll do what I can to share my story honestly, because I believe that will help. I'll also bring in passages from the Bible showing how God has always been about journeying with his people. Let's get started. In my early 20s, I was learning what it means to walk in the Spirit, to follow the desires of the Spirit rather than the desires of the flesh. It was an exciting time. I was in a good place, and it was positively affecting how I interacted with others. I was optimistic, naturally trusting of others, and admittedly a bit naive. I was having a great time, though. I was also learning about the importance of authenticity and vulnerability during that time. I was learning how important it is to offer up yourself to your community. So I threw myself into that task headfirst. I was opening up to others, getting involved in accountability groups, serving where I could, and generally thinking of others before myself. Then about five years ago, some stuff happened. I'm not going to say what that stuff was, but some stuff happened, and I was distressed. I was distressed. I didn't know what to do. I needed help. Based on what I had been learning, this seemed like a great time to involve my community. But then something went wrong. Opening up to others wasn't going the way I'd hoped. I was getting responses that made me feel worse instead of better. And rather than getting clarity on what to do, I have ended up more unsure. Let's do a little aside here to talk about the types of responses I was getting from people. There's a ministry, Stephen Ministries, that has described what they call five empathy busters. I know how you feel. You have a lot to be thankful for. It could be worse. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And you should, or you shouldn't, dot, dot, dot. If someone is struggling and you respond in one of these five ways, chances are you are well-intentioned and want to empathize. But what you're saying is having the opposite effect. It can feel like my struggle doesn't matter. Um, yeah, so during my time of struggle, I wasn't getting these exact responses, but the responses I was getting were having a similar effect. Now, maybe you've been guilty of giving these types of responses to people. Don't feel bad. It happens. But keep listening. What? Yeah. <laughs> so keep listening, and in a bit, I'll offer some more helpful ways of responding. Yeah, so looking back, I can see more clearly now that I was getting a lot of unhelpful responses, though. Nobody had bad intent, 
but it was a confusing situation, and they didn't know how to respond. At the time, though, I couldn't tell what was helpful or unhelpful. I was so unsure of myself that I accepted anything people offered me. Part of this came from a default way of thinking I had developed where other people are right and I'm wrong. Like, just as a rule, when what someone says doesn't line up with what I think, they are always right and I am always wrong. That was my way of thinking of others more highly than myself. Now, you'll see I've labeled this an unhelpful thought pattern, that word always. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's good to be open to the possibility that they're right and I'm wrong. But to assume you are never the one that's correct really isn't a fair assumption. So eventually the situation I was struggling with was resolved. I could let go of the anxiety that had lived with me in the months that went by after that point. But as I put down feelings of anxiety, I entered a period of disillusionment and grief. The disillusionment came as I realized the community I had trusted in had let me down when I needed them most. What was the point of trusting them again when they couldn't handle what I actually needed help with? I'm sure I can trust them with smaller things, but that's usually stuff I can handle on my own anyway. I know God is all capable and can help me, but do I just have to accept my community is not as helpful as I had hoped? I was no longer accepting cliche church answers as satisfactory responses to those questions. However, I was determined to learn from the experience. There was no way I was going to repeat that painful experience. I needed to learn from it. So I spent time doing that. I knew that I didn't want to end up cynical, and I didn't want to put up permanent shields between me and others. However, I also knew I couldn't just go back to the way things were. I couldn't maintain my limitless optimism, my undiscerning trust in others, and my damaging naivety. And I knew that to really heal and learn from the experience, I would need to take my time and go slowly. All right, it's about time I brought in the Bible. Many of the Psalms start by acknowledging the pain and struggle of the person writing the Psalm. These expressions of pain are quite honest and don't hold back. But then a process takes place. And the process generally ends with praises to God. Psalm 13 is an example of this process and a psalm that stuck with me during my time of struggle. Verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. We're two-thirds of the way through the psalm, and it's pretty gloomy so far. The author, David, feels profoundly alone and fears for his life. He's in despair. But here's the thing. This whole time, he remains connected to God. In his despair, he cries out to God. If he had truly given up on God, he wouldn't bother involving him. David's relentless connection to God allows verses 5 and 6 to come forth. Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. 
These are not cheap praises. David's struggle was real and significant. But even when he had profound doubts about his situation, he stayed connected to God. This allowed him to get to a place where he could genuinely praise God. He could trust that God would get him through this. Likewise, in my time of struggle, I knew I needed to hold on to God. My process of healing started with just me and God. I didn't know who else I could trust, but I knew God could handle me. I would pray to God, and sometimes that would give way to crying or to expressions of anger. And the crying and anger were actually helpful for me since I was at least feeling something. Most of the time, I just felt numb or nothingness. The thing about grieving, though, is that life goes on. You have things to do. Uh, I was still doing the things I was supposed to do, uh, like serving at church, reading my Bible, praying, etc. And it is good to continue living in a faithful way in the midst of suffering. The thing is, though, I was putting on a mask. I had locked away access to the pain within me. People would get the version of me that was positive, optimistic, and serving others. Nobody was going to have a problem with that. As for my pain, that was between me and God. Trusting God is a very biblical idea. However, the Bible also has a few things to say about needing each other. Here are a couple examples. First up, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If one person is struggling, it helps to have someone else around. And from the New Testament, we have Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This goes both ways. Yes, we help carry the burdens of those around us, but also, when we have burdens, others can help us carry that. So I couldn't stay isolated forever. Yes, God is all capable, but we need relationship with other human beings. Who else could I trust? I started to put together a list, a small list of other people I could trust. These are people who have been helpful in the past, including during my time of distress. Even if they didn't know how to solve my problems, they would at least acknowledge that what I was going through was hard. This acknowledgement or validation was helpful because it helped combat another one of my default ways of thinking. Growing up, I had a good upbringing. I've had fortunate circumstances throughout my life. I would hear about struggles other people went through, and just objectively, what they went through was harder than what I went through. However, this got twisted into my brain into a not helpful thinking pattern. The thinking pattern was... My struggle isn't legitimate. This means if I was having a hard time with something, I needed to just get over it. And if I didn't immediately get over it, then I really deserve self-condemnation. I won't quiz the audience this time, but I hope you can see that it's very possible to acknowledge both the severity of someone else's struggle and the legitimacy of your own struggle. So I was starting to reach out to people and it was starting to help combat thought patterns like this one. Elijah provides an example in the Bible of someone 
at his wit's end, needing God to restore him. 1 Kings chapter 19 describes beautifully how God met Elijah in his moment of need. I'll just read a section of that story, verses 3 through 8, and I'll start with verses 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So we see Elijah is really on the edge. He's had enough. He doesn't know what else to do. And verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. God provides for Elijah in a remarkably simple and tangible way. Elijah gets some sleep, which I'm sure he needed, and then he gets some food. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. A second visit was required from the angel of the Lord to make sure Elijah was getting what he needed. How often does God have to repeat things for us? Let's see how Elijah is doing now. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. That required God's intervention. God needed to attend to Elijah's soul. As I started to reach out to people, God was attending to my soul. I was starting to accumulate some people who were gentler on me than I was on myself. I started to read books about topics like boundaries, finding safe people, and soul care. I even flew out from New Brunswick to Alberta to attend a soul care conference. That was a tough one to justify. Flying out to another province to attend a conference is a lot. Did I really need to do that? Couldn't I wait for something more local? Why was I even digging into this soul care stuff? Couldn't I just leave the past in the past and focus on the positive going forward? However, I knew I needed to do something different to try digging, so I went. This and other steps like it were moving me towards healing. And it wasn't just about healing from the one situation that prompted the whole journey. It was about healing the thinking patterns and other parts within me that contributed to that situation. In the Gospels, we see the disciples journeying with Jesus. In particular, we see Peter boldly follow Jesus, make mistakes along the way, and eventually learn from them. One example of Peter's learning process is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 to 32. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Well, <laughs> Jesus is walking on water. Everybody's scared, 
Peter responds in bold faith. Peter wants to walk on water with Jesus. Let's see how it goes. Verse 29. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Peter walked on water, which is incredible. But then he lost his focus on Jesus, which is when he started sinking. Fortunately, he knew he needed Jesus' help, and Jesus helped him. When we walk with Jesus, incredible things can happen. But if our focus isn't continually on Jesus, we can lose our step. Take it one step at a time with Jesus. He'll show you what the next right thing is. As my journey continued, I started a couple more things. One was attending therapy. There's no Bible verse commanding us to go to therapy, but here's what I found helpful about it. I was seeking help and in the process acknowledging I needed help. I was addressing patterns of thinking that were doing more harm than good. And I was developing a safe relationship with the therapist, which in itself was a healing experience. This safe relationship gave me a baseline to then try extending trust to others. This leads me to the second thing I started doing. I started making incremental steps of trust toward the people in my life. I would give them a piece of me that was vulnerable and see how it went. If they responded in a helpful way, that encouraged me to offer more to them. If they didn't, then I would proceed with caution. I might try again with the people who didn't respond helpfully the first time, but I would keep the steps small. Now, maybe you're wondering, what did I consider helpful or unhelpful? I'm sure you're curious how you can respond helpfully to someone who's struggling. How do I wish, how do I wish people would have responded to me during my time of struggle? First, I would say compassion is generally more helpful than criticism especially as a starting point. Criticism can be constructive, and I learn what I can from that, but I often have plenty of self-criticism going on anyway. A compassionate response is more likely to impact me in a way that is empowering. Second, a compassionate response can look like acknowledging that what the other person is going through is hard, maybe thanking them for sharing that with you, and validation means communicating that what the person is experiencing matters. You don't have to like agree with how they're interpreting things, but you can still validate their experience as they're experiencing it. And then chances are you don't 100% understand their experience, even if you think you do. You can ask them questions, not to poke holes in their story, but to better understand it. And you can always offer prayer. Bringing our troubles to God is always a good move. And then also, on a human level, offering prayer indicates that you believe their struggle matters enough that we should bring it to God. So this is not an exhaustive list of ways to offer compassion, but hopefully it helps give some ideas. Then, if you've done all that, you can move to step three. 
If you know how to solve the problem, wonderful, you can offer advice. Now, many people like to start with advice, which I get, but it's generally better to spend some time understanding the situation before dishing out the advice. Maybe the person is doing something wrong, possibly even sinning, and they require correction. Again, I would say it's better to start with compassion before moving on to correction. Uh, the reason being that after walking through steps one and two, they'll be more receptive to that correction. In my journey, this is the type of response I found helpful for me. I'll go through one more Bible passage today. This one is about giving. Specifically, it's about giving money, but I would say the application of the passage extends to other forms of giving, such as giving your time, your attention, or information about yourself. I bolded and underlined verse 7 because I think it's particularly relevant here. Verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When we give, it's an act of joy, not an act of reluctant obligation. And sure, there are areas of life where you are obligated to give. If you are a parent, you have children, you have children or child or children that you need to take care of. In your workplace, you have job requirements you need to do. When you buy something, you need to pay for it. I'm sure you can think of other examples. What the Bible describes here, though, is giving in a way that goes beyond what's required of you in society. When you give in this way, do it joyfully as a response to receiving God's grace. Actually, if you give in this above and beyond way and you're not doing it joyfully, what you're doing is actually unbiblical. That was a lesson I learned through my experience of healing and recovery. So, to get back to the journey, time went on and I was recovering. The parts of me I really like started to come back. As I received help, I could then more freely offer help. As I offer compassion to myself, I could then better offer compassion to others. And as I received from the Holy Spirit, I could then joyfully go out and serve. It had taken years, but I was getting to the other side of this journey. And then more recently, I started getting these ideas in my head about going back to school and becoming a counselor and switching careers. And, and, uh, and yeah, and I believe my years-long journey here played a significant role in why I made the decision to switch careers and pursue counseling. Life hits hard sometimes, and there are simply no easy answers. If I can help someone go through the type of thing I went through, I would really like that. But that's my hope here today. We each go through struggles, and those struggles are real, and they can hit hard. Know that you are not alone. When you are in Christ, God is consistently with you and will journey with you as long as it takes. 
And if you aren't a Christian, I'll just put this out there. Christ's salvation offers eternal access to God, and you won't ever have to be alone again. If a relationship with Christ is something you want, I would suggest letting somebody know who can guide you through what that looks like. And then I also hope that this church, this community, can be a place where we each find at least one other person to share our burden with. Now, summarize a few lessons I learned from my journey to recovery. First, start with God's grace. God accepts you as you are and saves you without you deserving it. God will take care of you regardless of how well you're performing. The more you can internalize the truth of God's grace, the better off you'll be. The Bible does talk about the value of obedience, and we don't want cheap grace. But if you don't start with God's grace, any obedience you have will be performance-based rather than spirit-led. Start with God's grace. The obedience will follow. Second, take things one step at a time. Our capacity is limited, especially when we're hurting. If you try to take on too much too quickly, you will likely crash and burn just as quickly. Start small. Start slow. And that will allow you to go steady. God is with you every step of the way. Maybe all you can do right now is acknowledge that what you're going through is hard. Or maybe you need God or someone else to do that for you. Start there. And then third, when you give, give willingly. I was originally thinking about doing a whole sermon on boundaries. I'm sure that would be good at some point. For now, though, I'll start with this. A lot of us end, in, end up in trouble when we give and give to the point of resenting others. We give of ourselves, not out of joy, but because we feel we're supposed to. I love when I'm able to give. That's the work of Christ in me. But I am more discerning about it now than I used to be. I'll, now I check in with myself. Do I want to offer this to this person? Many times I do want to, even if it's inconvenient or involves some sacrifice on, on my part. Other times, I'll put a limit on how much I'm willing to offer. I'm not perfect at this process of enforcing limits, but I know God has been working in my life to help me be more settled with who I am. I have flaws. I have limits. But I am in Christ, and that makes all the difference. Maybe some of you here today are in a period where you are struggling. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to just take it as your own. All right, so just maybe close your eyes, just enter a, a posture of prayer. Lord Jesus, I need help. I want to help others, but I need help too. Please meet me where I'm at and offer what I need in this moment. Jesus, please speak to me in, at this time. I'll pause for just a moment now just so you can start hearing from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, 
continue speaking to each person here today. Let each of us know you are present and you care and you are able to take care of us. Show each of us what the next step forward looks like. Let this be a moment where we lean on you, Lord, and you come through in a big way. Holy Spirit, continue working in each of us. Amen.